0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 183 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix from Budapest, Hungary, which I am a little. I'm Robin Moore.
1: And I am Jim Lau. And of course, in the last week, we had uh, the passing of Jules Bianchi, so uh, we can't go without without mentioning that. We don't have a whole lot to add about it, but um, as we talked about at the time, uh, you know, it's just... It's a huge loss for the racing community. Um, you know, seems like such a such a quality dude. Obviously, a good driver, and uh, just had such a future, uh, you know, potential future that uh, we don't get to see now. But um, you know, there's plenty has been written about it and said about it in the uh, in the last few days. And uh, you know, there's there's not a lot that we have to, to add on that. But um, for you know, for Formula One to, to carry on and you know, learn the lessons that they can and making things safe, but to move forward and keep racing and keep the passion and everything going, uh, I think is is the right way to move forward.
0: I think. The most important thing for me was the realization that it's so easy to say that racing is dangerous and there's always risks in Formula One. But that was becoming more and more lifeless and meaningless. That was just talk. Like theoretical. Right. There hadn't been a death in 20 years There had been accident after accident that looked horrific that people walked away from. I mean, thinking of uh, when Mark Webber flipped his Red Bull a couple years back, his last... Was that his last season? Yeah. Uh, Or the the massive uh, pile-up that uh, Grosjean uh, started at Spa uh, that looked pretty horrendous. And everyone was fine. It's just... It was kind of, it was kind of, in a sense, the necessary reminder. Like, look, it's physics here. There's energy, and it has to go somewhere. And uh, it doesn't matter how safe or controlled you make something. Humans will always find a way. <laughs> and uh, so, I think what I'm trying to say is the takeaway is what what we are inspired by and enjoy and are entertained with is truly, it is properly a dangerous sport and there are real risks here. Um, and then, of course, on a more personal note for me, you know, hand injuries are, are, are terrible things. And I think that losing jewels is a very... Is a very sad. Uh, very sad experience. And it's such a shame. That. You know. He just. It just succumbed to something. I mean. Of course. Dealing with it for nine months. Is very hard on its own. But there is a. There is a. Com- a comfort in knowing that. Uh, Jules has been. Eternalized. And. We don't have to. We don't have to forget about him, you know. We we can remember that at such a young age, with not many not many opportunities, in a car that wasn't competitive, that he still performed quite well, and uh, did a lot of things admirably. And I think that's just that's worth noting, worth celebrating, and you know, and then more importantly, (laughs) worth spending a minute or two saying so. And, yeah, I think that's about all I have to say.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think the the biggest takeaway um, in terms of, like, act, you know, action items, I guess, you know, logistics, it's just like, you know, uh, the having the crane at the outside of the track and those kind of things, it just seems like if, if there's anything we can do to just be more, you know, we, the Formula One community, uh, just, you know, I, you know the, the barriers are really good, the cars are really safe, there's helmets, there's Hans devices, all this kind of stuff, but then... Um, you know, then I'll, then there's a tractor in a place where it shouldn't be or whatever. It's just like, it's these, it's these random little things. Like you say, that just happen to come together and it's yeah. humans and the, you know, everyone in there was trying to do the right thing and they're doing their jobs and reacting to this and that. And the, you know, the marshals are doing this and the, uh, the race director and all that. But hopefully uh, if you know, the, the good that can come of this is that um, you know, it, you know, hopefully something like this never happens again. And understanding that, of course, this racing is dangerous. And uh, obviously, you know, rain is, you know, everything was was a factor there. But uh, the the rain and the speed and the visibility and everything. So... Well, the
0: term that is used for things like this is, uh, at least in engineering, is tolerance stacking. You know, you have a tolerance, you have a small chance of something happening. But then if that happens and you have a small chance of a second thing happening and then a small chance of a third thing happening, all of a sudden... If you start t- stacking up these tolerances, if all those things line up, something can become kind of likely, you know? Right. And that's that's what happened uh, with this incident, I believe. It's just a huge long list of, well, if only- it, If it weren't thing.
1: for this, if yeah, it weren't for that. exactly. And, right. And if it, if any one thing had been different, then who knows? But either way- uh, and,
0: and, you know, just in t- yep. to that directing, we have the virtual safety car, which to me seems like- to, to mitigate that specific accident from happening again, that seems like a good a good way to go. But I think the larger point I'm trying to make is that doesn't mean the troubles we're done with trouble It doesn't mean accidents don't happen. You know what I mean? Like it's like that was the last one and we solved it. Like
1: right. And I mean, let's be forget. You know, his accident was during a safety car. I mean, that's that's another innovation that has happened. Is you know, there's been pace cars and safety cars and the whole other thing. But it's that's like exactly and yet right. still. Uh, there's, there's ways that, that things can go wrong. So yeah, we'd be, we'd be foolish to think that no one's ever going to get hurt in a formula one car ever again, but, uh, hopefully, you know, we can, you know, obviously just yeah, continue to, to move, move everything forward with safety for, uh, you know, race cars and road cars and, and everything else. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of science that, uh, that goes into these things and, uh, uh, you know, as a, uh, you know, father of a growing daughter, uh, we just bought a Recaro uh, car seat for her. And, <laughs> and part of what they're talking about is like, hey, we learn a lot about how seats deal with in crashes because they've done, you know, rally cars and race cars and everything forever. And uh, it all well, goes into now, you know, strapping in a child and keeping them safe in a car. And, you know, the the wild and crazy world of the highway, which, of course, is so much more dangerous in terms of people dying all the time Absolutely. Than, uh, than than a racetrack. So it's, you know, that's, that's the idea, right? Is it just all the lessons we, we learn, we keep moving forward and, uh, you know. Make the world a safer place. So, and hopefully- there, is,
0: there was this kind of weird twist of irony that you know, came up. Uh, you know, Jules Bianchi's great uncle was a Grand Prix driver that passed away in the car. It was an accident, and that was 1968. Hmm. And David Hobbs, uh, one of our announcers, made the point that when his great uncle passed away, that was one of four drivers that died that year.
1: Yeah, I mean, looking back at the, the, the stats and just, you know, seeing the stories of, of how it used to be in Grand Prix racing. I mean, it, and all kinds of sports. I mean, you see how many people die in, uh, you know, horse racing accidents and boat racing and, I mean, all kinds of things. Just, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's amazing that it's gotten as, as safe as it is, but nothing is 100%, you know. And, uh,
0: yes, and to honor that, uh, the drivers uh, at the Hungarian Grand Prix were very professional and, uh, very, uh, very respectful to other people's racing lines and always gave room. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It went that's from, how that happened. From the,
1: the moment of silence and a very moving tribute and, uh, you know, putting every, everyone in a circle and all that to, uh, not, not that they'd forgotten the lesson, but then, you know, right away it was like, and we're back to racing and, and I think you have to do that. Right. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is you, you kind of part of the mindset of being a, a race car driver, especially at the very top levels of Formula One is, um, you know, you, you know that there's risks and, uh, you know, at some level, everyone has to think about that and accept that. But then, uh, you know, whatever the cliche is, the visor goes down or whatever, uh, you know, you put your head down, whatever, whatever thing yes. you want to put down, something's down and then, uh, well, because and you, don't you have to
0: keep your head with your visor. So once the visor oh, goes down, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, yeah. And e- I mean, even more specifically than that, we had the, uh, fast into the wall accident with Nico Hulkenberg in the middle of the race he was fine Walked out of the car no problem
1: right yeah first question you know are, are you okay nico and he's like oh yeah yeah i'm fine everything's fine like yeah. and that you know thankfully the car did get slowed down quite a bit um, for that but yeah i mean uh, where do, where do you even begin with um, with this weekend <laughs> like uh, you know well uh,
0: i mean beginning at the beginning is fine with me it was uh, you know it was the drop of the flag you know that was actually a false start because of one felipe massa
1: Right, he's uh, he's quite old. Um, he gets he gets confused. <laughs> there we go.
0: He goes good. in. Good. I was wondering how long that would take. Yeah, yes,
1: nine minutes. Um, so yeah, he uh, you know he pulled into the wrong good spot. Obviously, I was thinking even you know we had uh, you know. Checo's role in practice and all kinds of stuff and, yes. you know but so qualifying actually was pretty typical right with the uh, Hamilton pole and he already had pole and then he just you know had the had one of the bigger gaps we've seen in a while with, you know it was almost 6 tenths of a second between him and uh and Rosberg so everything you know Hamilton said oh I'm switched on the car's working great everything's going great like yeah. I don't remember ever feeling this good before turns um, out he
0: used up all the gaps he had for the weekend yeah
1: and it was you know there's also this rule change and I haven't seen anything written about this yet and we're we're recording this just shortly after the race ended but um That uh, there was that change in policy uh, in the rules for assistance from the pit wall to the driver for the start of the race. And part of that was, um, you know, how, you know, obviously you you can't have um, remote control devices on the car, like, you know, from the pits. You can't tell, you know, the wings to adjust or change the fuel, you know, fuel flow or uh, wing bias or brake bias or anything like that. but. Um, there was, you know, they could talk about, oh yeah, use clutch bite, you know, clutch bite point six or whatever, you know, try this, try to do this thing or, you know, set, change the setting. And that was, um, outlawed now. So, um, I haven't seen written anywhere if, uh, the Mercedes guys think that was a factor, but from looking at it, it looked like the Ferraris got really good starts. Um, apparently, you know, without their, uh, without any assistance from the pit wall, probably. And real um, quick,
0: this is, this is the second time round. This was after they did another reconnaissance lap right? and Felipe got, on the correct, uh, yeah, correct spot this time, and uh, and then they went off. Yeah, and the Ferraris, e- even from the in-car footage, the Ferraris took off zero hesitation, mm-hmm. and off they went. Uh, from Lewis Hamilton's uh, coverage, there was that moment of wheel spin, a uh, mo- uh, kind of lull in the engine noise. It wasn't a clean rev up through the first gear
1: right like he had you know was was either on you know, under revved by a little bit or the clutch just didn't quite grab as i thought grabbed too early but not as, as much slip as or, he wanted or know?
0: too much too yeah. much electric motor and the wheels spun right and kept a kept an engine rpm I, i'm not sure so
1: we don't know if it was you know it seemed like maybe a combination of a great start for ferraris and a just a slightly below average start for the mercedes but both ferraris got around you know after a few corners at least around both mercedes um, and you would think
0: stop right there okay that's both ferraris Because Räikkönen was right there with Vettel, and Räikkönen got around right there with Vettel. Räikkönen stay in Formula One. Don't go.
1: No one, no one was arguing with you. No,
0: stop arguing with me. Okay. We we need Räikkönen to stay. Räikkönen stay.
1: Okay. Are we good?
0: (laughs) Maybe. I mean, both Ferraris got around Hamilton, Mm -hmm. as did Nico Rosberg.
1: Yeah, and where did Räikkönen finish today? Oh, that's right, in the garage. Yes. Because he's, you know, his, you know, motor generator unit kinetic is too complicated he's for an old guy to passed use. Passed
0: his nap time. Whatever. Listen, it's just an unfortunate coincidence. But
1: no, that's true. I mean, it was not that Räikkönen was was. I mean, first of all, he qualified well. He was right up there in the yes. mix. Yes. And uh, yeah, was executing. It did it. Also did a great start and was was right up there in the mix and taking chances and doing well. So yeah, props to uh, props to Räikkönen and uh, he was he was right through there. But then you'd think. Okay, this is just like when the Williams got around and, you know, how long can this last, right? Maybe a half a lap, maybe two laps. Maybe once there's DRS, of course the Mercedes are going to shoot right back around the Ferraris and all is going to be well and normal in the world and one, two.
0: Well, I mean, not – I mean, the Williams, they were in front for, what, 15 laps. It was basically until the first pit stop. But the difference was, and it was telling right away within that lap or two, was with Williams, the Mercedes were right there. They easily kept the pace with the Williams and just couldn't find a way around. right. Ferrari was gapping Mercedes. You know, after a few laps, Raikkonen, the second Ferrari, had, what, three, four seconds on um, Rosberg in the first Mercedes.
1: Right. And this was, you know, uh, you know, Rosberg was in basically clean air. I mean, it was only the two of them. It wasn't like there was traffic at this point. Obviously, it's the very beginning of the race. There wasn't anything weird to, with the car. It was just kind of like the Ferraris really seemed to have the right pace and, you know, what is that? You know, so and
0: I'm sure what you're thinking is well, why doesn't Hamilton just get around Rosberg if Rosberg is dogging it? Well, Hamilton was what, eighth, ninth, because he had gone off track. He had gotten in a little schmazzle with uh, Ricardo, and, uh, right. and then he. Then he blamed Rosberg for cutting him off, or something like. that. It was just one thing after another.
1: Yeah, it really came unraveled basically right at the uh, second uh, drop of the hat at the beginning uh, for for uh, Hamilton yeah, it was.
0: Is it the second drop of the hat, or the drop of the second hat?
1: Well, I don't know if the, if the hat is it multiple they, hats or is the hat, the hat? was the know. hat
0: picked up, and dropped again. We'll have to check. We'll have to look at right, because like that's on that. that's like a butterfinger situation, or just like. A misalignment of when how the hat's being put on, you know what I mean? That's right. A, that's a that's a hat dropping. We should investigate
1: or not, um, <laughs> but yeah. So Hamilton, you know, just kind of got it, it got ahead of himself, like he you know hasn't done in a while, but did sort of seem to used to do. Just kind of got overly emotional, trying a bit hard, pushing literally too hard, and uh, and yeah, you know, went off and and you know came back, um, and then it just it just really went. It was it was it was tough from there because yeah, he got back on the track and. Uh, and was able to, to push on, but you know, all the while you think, okay, so that's that's pressure off of Rosberg. He must be able to keep up with Ferraris now and maybe make a pass and whatever. And uh
0: and, and he wasn't, you know, it was that was what was surprising. It was well yeah, he was he was in the thick of things more than Rosberg was, but yeah, it was definitely not his typical performance. But here you know what I found quite interesting mm. in our pre race coverage, there was an interview with Hamilton. And Hamilton was talking about how he was only three race wins away from tying Senna in race wins. Right. And he's talking about how amazing that is and how he doesn't like to compare himself with Senna, but it happens. And hear his name in the same sentence as Senna is crazy and all this kind of stuff. And then after kind of like this boastful kind of interview, which I'm not saying Hamilton was boastful. I'm saying it was set up that way and kind of came out uh, just that way on both sides. That uh, he has this disastrous result. And the irony is that Vettel goes and gets a win instead and matches Senna. So Vettel was just a couple race wins. Vettel was just a couple race wins away from uh, – I'm sorry. It was close Vettel was a couple yeah. race wins ahead of Hamilton in this conversation about tying Senna for race wins. Right, And now, now Vettel does it when Hamilton was talking about it. And I found that ironic. And, uh, yeah, so it's now uh, Michael Schumacher way, way, way ahead of everyone with 91 wins. Um, uh, It was uh, Prost 40 behind with 51 wins. And now uh, Vettel and Senna tied for third with 41 wins.
1: Right. And, of course, at the outset, you know, the Ferraris had looked good in qualifying, but not amazing. You know, they hadn't shown that their uh, ability to to start a race was outstanding and then maintain that uh, and and extend that gap. Uh, but. Yeah, you know now it's a lot more likely than it sort of seemed like it would have been, you know, uh, last year or whatever. That uh, the Vettel will, you know, will move past that. I mean, it's really, I think very likely that he'll have another win in this Ferrari, um, especially looking how strong they are here. And uh, you know, there's nine more races to go. I mean, there's there's a lot of races these years yeah. in, uh, in the calendar, and it sort of seems like we're getting through the season. It's like nope, we're I mean, just over halfway well, now. We but, are,
0: but, but yeah, nine the, races
1: is a lot. That's a lot of races, a lot of points. That lot, lot can
0: happen. The next two races should fall more Mercedes way. But what's, what's really interesting to me is that all this conversation, and then in addition to that, the qualifying performance really made it seem like, well, okay, Mercedes is going to completely own this one again and just walk a wide array. And it, I could not have been farther from the truth. And it makes me wonder, Are we is, is, is there a growing gap between qualifying pace and race pace because it seems like those are becoming more and more separate performance criteria. Do you see what I mean? The yeah. metrics. Yeah. And for this for this track in these weather conditions at this race, Ferrari had better race pace than Mercedes.
1: Right. And they talked about it, it did get quite a bit cooler, you know, 20 degrees cooler, F anyway, um, from qualifying to the race. So maybe just, yeah, the the tires, the grip, uh, everything just kind of worked better uh, and, and fell into the Mercedes' hands. Uh, but then all of a sudden it cooled off. And, uh, you know, of course, everyone's got weather forecasts, but it's so hard to predict how exactly things are going to change and how long your tires are going to last and how everything's going to work. Uh, and then, of course, you also, you know, the variables of safety cars and things like that are all still uh, still very much in play. So. Um, yeah, it just really came together for Ferrari in kind of an unexpected way. Um, but it was, you know, it was really cool for Vettel to be able to uh, to hang on there. And then for a while, I mean, I don't know, it's how, how, how much we can, uh, uh, you know, go step by step through the race. But um, you know, for a while it was looking like, uh, you know, it was like Rosberg could maybe chase down. You know, we, we had the uh, the safety car, and then all of a sudden, you know, Rosberg was, was sort of close, and oh, maybe he can he can come back. And then Hamilton was right there in the mix, um, at, you know, near the near the end. Uh, but it was just like. Um, you know, potentially Verstappen on the, on the podium um, ended up being the two Red Bulls and Vettel. It was just so chaotic with, um, you know, I, I think, I think uh, Hamilton now owes Ricardo uh, like many rounds of drinks um, <laughs> for, cause, cause, you know, to, to talk about, I think one of the, one of the biggest moves of the race, which was um, as Ricardo, who had uh, most recently pit to uh, and, and had uh, what is a super softs on the, the software, the tires, the option tires, um, and was you know, doing his best to storm through the field and and get up to the podium um, and, you know, had this kind of outside chance of a move on, on Rosberg. I mean, it was sort of, it was a way late um, sort of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't around the outside, but, you know, inside move um, that just, you know, didn't work uh, and Rosberg made his way around. But then, um, you know, the stewards determined it was a racing incident. Um, You know, it, it looked, Pretty well, like like I don't know, you know. Rosberg um, says he was just driving his normal line, but you know, of course, it ended up with Rosberg's left rear touching Ricardo's right front, which cut down Rosberg's tire. I mean, that was such a game changer for Lewis of all people, uh, because it was a long lap around where uh, you know Rosberg had the flailing tire, lost all kinds of time, then of course had to get in the pits and change it. But that was you know lit the fire back under Hamilton to say, oh wait, now you know rather than because um, I think Hamilton, you know, we'll talk about this later with the points, but. Um, not that he doesn't care exactly who wins, but it's like for Hamilton it's all about where Rosberg finishes, it's all about that lead, yeah, how that lead it's the changes. Context. And uh and so all of a sudden, you know, even if and if these Red Bulls are up there getting points, hey, that's fine for Hamilton. He doesn't really care. Those guys are, are you know, farther back in the championship. Uh Vettel might be starting to come you know, that's that's the guy to look at.
0: And Hamilton, right, exactly what you just I mean, Hamilton has to be a little bit careful because Vettel is actually not that far behind Nico and Hamilton in drivers' points. So that's that's I'm not saying something to lose sleep over, but it's something to keep your eye on. And I think it just goes to show how truly sensitive these things are and how quickly they really can become unraveled. And I think it might, to a certain extent, show the uniqueness of the Hungaro Ring compared to many of the other tracks we go to because this place is tighter. It is more downforce dependent, a little less engine dependent. And maybe that is part of how this played out as well,
1: right? And I have to say, I mean, just to, to take a step back for a minute, you know, what a what a cool race this has been. Um, you know, obviously this was what Fernando uh, uh, Jensen Button's first win in you know changeable and yeah, kind of weird. 2006. Condition. He's had some he's had some good results here. It's just it's it's this kind of mix up where Monaco is special in its very own way, uh, with you know no runoff and it's downtown in the city and it's completely improbable for an F one race you know, Hungary from the outset, you look at, oh, it's a, you know, it's a permanent road course. Okay. Yeah. It's more typical, but really tight and twisting. It's got the one front straight. That's not even that long. Um, uh, but just how it changes the dynamic of, um, you know, the strengths of different cars and then this changeable weather. Um, obviously we've had rainy races and, and different things here, but it's just right in the, in the heart of, uh, heart of Europe there. And, uh, it just, it, it's so fun to have a race like this that is um, just different from kind of the string of, you know, certainly coming up, we've got a lot of higher speed, longer tracks. You know, we've got Monzo, we've got Spa, um, you know, USGP, that's got some long straights and so on. Yeah. Um, and uh, so to have this kind of, you know, this mix of tracks and, uh, you know, we've there's been a lot of talk lately about the Formula 1 calendar and uh, losing classic races. I mean, obviously, we didn't have a German Grand Prix. You know, there was no Nürburgring, no Hockenheim this year. Um, and there's some question about how that's all going to pan out in the coming years. We've got, uh, you know, the Baku, uh, the European Grand Prix and Baku-Azerbaijan coming up. And uh, we'll see how that all goes. And some of the new tracks not being exciting. But um, this was the, you know, 30th continuous year of, uh, of the Grand Prix happening in, in Hungary. And I didn't realize that the history had been, uh, that they'd been going there that long. It's still, um, it kind of, it snuck up as being a classic track in a way. Like it doesn't, you know, it's not usually one of the ones people think of, if, you know, yeah. Spa and Monza well, and Silverstone. Well, I mean, but, I
0: think pre-21st century, you kind of have to give that it, the classic nod now.
1: Right. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, but just how, how that changes the dynamic and having... Uh, you know, the, the McLarens do well. I mean, you know, partly of course they were helped by, uh, by the, you know, problems with the Mercedes and but that was the not guys. the only thing, but critically. it was, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the manners were also helped by that, but they still were at the very back, you know, like it's, it's, you know, taking advantage of these opportunities when there are, when, when they're there, um, being, you know, in with a shout so that, yeah, when other people have issues, you're there to, to move forward because if you're, you know, several laps down, then, you know, who cares? So, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's always good to see uh, see things mixed up a little bit. And, you know, Monaco, of course, does that, and it's special in its own way, and it's very cool. But I also want to uh, just kind of uh, give props to, to Hungary as being part of that. And then also its place in the, in the championship means that now this is sort of the, the setup and kind of the inertia before the, the summer break. So this gives us plenty to talk about and think about because uh, we won't have a race for almost a month uh, until we're at Spa. But, you know, I do think Mercedes uh, is, is, has to be looking at Ferrari's pace. And, you know, who knows what the weather is going to be in Spa. That's one of the big questions at Spa always um, and how that's all going to pan out. It's probably going to suit Mercedes pretty well, like you're saying. Uh, but, like you say, they have to, uh, you know, they do have to take Ferrari very seriously these days. And, uh, and, and Williams, you know, maybe, again, at Spa. But uh, certainly, you know, today they were not... Uh, they're not in there to be to be threatening, but it's all it's all part of what they got to look at.
0: Well, Williams said themselves that Hungary is not going to be this, their strongest race. That was quite clear from the beginning. Now, you said that Hungary gives us a lot of, to to think about. Well, I, if you will allow it, would like a take to take a moment to think about something to digress away from the uh, Grand Prix for a moment. I think that Hungary gave us a small just the tiniest little bit of example of why formula 1 should walk away from downforce i think that we had a shorter track where downforce you're more dependent on it but it's also a little bit less effective and we had a, had a lot of great racing and when nico hulkenberg lost his front wing we very clearly saw how much they depended on downforce for the braking zones, which shortens the braking zones considerably.
1: Well, it all, they also depend on you know items not being between the wheels and the track. I mean, the tires and the track. There's, fair enough. That's a factor as
0: well. Yeah, but that was not critically for the entire braking zone. But yes, right. fair point entirely. I think that if Formula One went away from wings. And this and focus more on uh, body efficiency, reducing drag and focus more on power from traditional and alternative sources and mechanical grip. And those kind of situations that we would have a refresh sport in terms of technology that's new and uh, and transfers to the rest of the world. And racing that has the opportunity for more excitement, more passing opportunities. Downforce, while exotic, while making the cars interesting, I think ultimately detracts from Grand Prix racing.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that if Formula One is the right thing for that though. I mean part of the you know, the essence of Formula One, um, I mean you know, obviously there's you know, there's Formula Two and Three and whatever, and then right in the name, it's like Formula One, this should be the fastest thing. If there's anything at a track where they have you know, endurance cars go there. Like Silverstone, you know, they run endurance cars there. They run F1 there. They run all kinds of different series there. If, if there's another, you know, if some other series comes up where you say, okay, you, you know, say, okay, the racing is really cool and it's really interesting. I um, mean, you can say that about a lot of things. You can say, you know, a spec series is really interesting because all the cars are basically the same and it's just how good are you at setting up a car and mostly how good are you as a driver. But that's not what Formula One is about. And I think with the downforce thing, uh, depending, of course, on the balance of how much downforce there still is. Um, I'm also concerned that the cars would look really weird without wings and uh, that that would be a factor, but you know, it shouldn't matter so much. Well, okay,
0: well, just as a real quick aside, it's not like the cars have been beautiful with wings and never had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, we but just- it's like we finally
1: have reasonable-looking cars, and you know, they were showing some replays from uh, uh, at the beginning from like uh, you know, 2010, 2011, and the high noses and whatever, and the, that cut-off locator and, uh, and so on. It's just like, okay, we were kind of— Dealing with it at the time, but now the cars are, are nice and swoopy looking again, and so on.
0: But that was not that was not because they lost the wings. That was because they were trying to make change the cars for crash crash safety. Right,
1: I get that, but I think if you you know anytime you see a, an F one car without its wings, it looks really gumpy and pointy and strange.
0: Well, okay, well let, let's take a step back though. I in doing what I'm describing, I would want the cars to. Um, have a much thinner rule book not a thicker one hmm. let's get away from, let's reduce the rules make make fewer rules tighter and and go uh, and go about and let and let the teams explore more so maybe i'm using the wrong wording maybe we don't necessarily give up downforce teams can decide how they want to do it but we give up wings and we give up the obvious external downforce elements and just say this car cannot have wings but if you have a clever way to integrate downforce into the bodywork.
1: Yeah, we've got a camera mount that just happens to be really wide and really thin and has a certain aerodynamic shape. But that's a really, it's not a wing, it's a camera mount. Well, I mean, you know, loopholes notwithstanding and you know, loophole's clever not teams being clever. But
0: you know. I, I don't know. I feel like I would like to see longer braking zones and I would like to see more mechanical grip. And I would like to see, you know, that was another thing about downforce. It's like, oh, well, if you get within two seconds of a car. You lose some downforce because of turbulence, and that leads to understeer, more tire wear. So you should keep a two-second gap, ideally, so that your tires – well, no. I want the tires to wear out more. I want there to be bigger variation in that. You know what I mean? Like Downforce is this caulk that fills a lot of cracks and little uh, inconsistencies that I think – uh, sterilizes the racing a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I guess my, my thinking is that that's what's necessary to get just the fastest possible lap times, like, you know, the shorter braking zones and the highest grip through corners and all that is all a big part of how these cars achieve these, uh, seemingly impossible lap times. And that that's part of the, di- the, part of the thing. And I guess your proposed changes or different series or whatever that would be, um, would have probably ultimately slower lap times, potentially a lot more interesting racing, because you can have a closer running together, you know, passes and passbacks and, and so on, um, you know, being able to stay together, um, then you have to think about sort of the, the knock-on effects of that, uh, being that well, how much, you know, right now downforce in aerodynamics is such a specialized field and it's so much money with wind tunnels and that, you know, you can get as so far as you can with computers, but it's not, it's, it's like a whole different kind of engineering closer to, you know, aerospace engineering than it is to road cars. Well, it's literally, it's aerospace uh,
0: engineering. That's, right. I mean, if, if you're, if you're a downforce guy, that's what your mechanical, that's what your engineering degree is. It's yeah. aerospace. Right. And, but that's kind of my question is it to what end? You know what I mean? Like, what are what are the we? Fastest
1: possible t- lap time? I think is, is the end. Is but, like, look at this car. This again, improbable machine. This you know, upside down airplane with wheels on it. Whatever you want to call it.
0: I think that there is lots of room if you, like I said, thin the rule book. If you open up and not be so restrictive on the hundreds upon hundreds of different ways that it's extremely restrictive. If you open that up and killed off the major components of downforce in the process. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily going to make the cars slower. Maybe they could even be faster. And if they could be faster with mechanical grip instead of and instead of downforce, how is that bad?
1: Well, if they're faster, then then that's good. I just i I wonder how that could I'm be. If the cars are too... looser and there's more more to do with the driver, that seems like ultimately you know I, I get that a super fast lap. I mean, you think like you know for different series and road cars and so on or uh, you know road circuits. Um, like the time attack cars are usually the fastest possible laps. And these cars are not made to, to even go fender to fender. You know, the the whole thing is a time trial, like a, you know, each car is on its own or in its own air. And they've got these crazy big wings and they make like 800 horsepower. And it's a car that's, you know, just made for setting a lap time. That's that's different and that's not necessarily better. I'm just, you know, in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, talking out ideas and thinking it through a little bit, thinking, uh, you know, part of part of the thing, uh, part of the one factor of that, of course, is that. But what I, what is sort of getting at before is, Right now, that is a very expensive part of what a team has to do is developing this aerodynamics, developing the downforce, and all that. So, um, it's potentially, I think, a, a win for your, like you talk, talk about, you know, but you say thinning the rule book. My concern is that that's part of why, you know, all these rules are, are evolutions of a team trying to do this. So now we have to ban double diffusers because this happened. And oh, there's a hole in the floor. So we need to ban that. And then we need to, ban, you know, it's like all these little add ons and little add ons. Uh, because there's so many really smart people that are uh, you know, engineering uh, within the ah. rules and setting so, through that. So that's what so it is. So maybe it's budget cap or we something. We should is. ban
0: the smart people. Uh, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. If I, your IQ is greater than this, get out.
1: I'm just trying to picture what the field of cars...
0: <laughs> I guess I just would to run. That would be Idiocracy Grand Prix version. That's what that would be. So no, it's no. Wacky
1: Races is what that
0: is. <laughs> no, but okay. <clears throat> Remember what we've talked about before throw away all these rules and say you have whatever the number, 100 kilograms of fuel for the race weekend. Or you have, you know, pick a number of something. Okay, go. Do you know what I mean?
1: And then I think in that case, though, you end up with one or two teams just completely dominating and everyone else, nobody has the money to outspend that. So if you combine that with something of a spending cap to say – Here's how we're gonna do this, here's you know, here's the kind of resources you get to have. Cause I think with a lot of these really open formula, uh, the problem is someone, some team, some company finds the right the you know, the winning move and just goes and dominates with it, and then that's not fun because then there's one company just dominating and if the other guys don't have the, the ability to spend as much or whatever. So I think a lot of the current rules are Uh, to try to get these things at least, you know, levelized to some extent. And then different series have different ways of doing it, right, with Le Mans and different sports cars and all kinds of different things, you know, balance of performance. And then there's always people always have problems one way or the other. Oh, this wasn't too, you know, this wasn't far enough. This was too far in terms of balancing things. And it always seems lame to slow down a car that can be faster for the sake of competition. But that's part of what competition is, is if one car is way out in front and not not out there, then that's not not so much racing as, you know, just setting a lap time and, and so on. Uh, so that, I'm just my I guess my point is there's so many factors in so many ways, and I don't don't disagree with your idea. I mean, I think there there's a lot of benefits and I think one of those, if done well could be that it is more equal because aerodynamics uh, is such a specialized field, is so costly to develop and to test for, and it just takes, Um, it's one of those things that there's so much you can do on an engine dyno and brake dyno, and you can shake chassis around and so on, um, and and test suspension components individually and so on. But aerodynamics as the whole package is one of those things that really needs to be tested on the, on the full car. I mean, wind tunnels, of course, will get you a lot of data, but the real car with the real track conditions and wind and, and everything else, um, and that's the most expensive part of of this of testing. You know, is just running these things and getting the people and the machinery and the track far. and the whole yeah, thing. By
0: far, so potentially, well, actually, it, now with powertrains, what they are, maybe not by far, but right, that's true. Definitely, it, definitely a major component. And here's my my uh, counterargument: that is, like, there's still a lot of need for that in terms of getting drag out of the car and maybe finding downforce in clever ways. And I'd say throwing out the rule book and saying you just have a given amount of fuel as an example of something we've talked in the past not saying that is what should also be done you know what i mean my point being that there is a happier balance from where we are we're not at a, a comfortable equilibrium here of rule book thickness and performance like like let's not forget we're not talking about a sport that everyone's in love with right now formula one is you know losing uh losing uh power not gaining it right now you know it's not having the fan fans at the tracks consistently it you know what i mean there's a lot of people saying we need to change things and so i'm saying hey this is a slightly more outside the box way to use to coin a cliche term um, this is more uh outside the box method of doing it but hey let's really think about What is the best way for the sport to go forward sustainably, not for the next five years, but for the next 25?
1: Yeah, and I think right now, I mean, you can look at it a a bunch of different ways to say, okay, is Formula 1 in a good place or not? And I think in general, most people will agree there are issues. I mean, there's always issues. But I think right now is a weird time because Bernie Ecclestone, I mean, A, he's really, really old. I mean, will he be involved with the sport or even around at all? He's almost
0: as old as Raikkonen. Uh,
1: (laughs) But you know, in in five years, you know, ten years is a long time. You know, when you're eighty, whatever he is, he's eighty four, um, I think. So you know, will he be able to to manage? So it's, I think there's there's these power struggles. Then there's sort of this. this still, he's definitely of the old old guard of formula one and of the way money works and the way things are flowed through there. And, uh, you know, there's, of course, there's, there's all kinds of talks and things that, uh, we don't even necessarily go into on in the show about, Oh, you know, there's a consortium of companies that's looking to buy formula one and buy the partnership behind formula one and, you know, change the way that the money gets made. And right now it's all money, people making money and not tracks and not fans. So it's one like, one of
0: the best things about this world are consortiums,
1: you know, <laughs> consortia. Yeah. But, uh, to be able, you know, so I think hopefully right now, uh, you know, is just kind of a weird point for, the politics and the money behind the sport, and you know that the, the you know between the FIA and FOM and who owns it and the shareholders and who's making money here because people are making money, um, but it's at the expense of you know we we don't have a race at the Nurburgring because they couldn't agree in terms because you know the companies involved wanted so much money from the track that they couldn't afford it even though there are fans that want to see the cars like I don't think the cars are really the problem right now and part of the problem is that there's these you know the leader of a sport saying bad things about the sport to the media you know saying it's like oh yeah this this V you know these V8s uh, you know sounded way better and these these V6s are crap and you no know, you know, the noise is better and you know this is wrong it's like rather than getting behind kind of like hey here's what the sport is trying to do and like yeah. you know anything you can put a positive spin on anything you can have a certain approach about it so I don't know, you know, it's, you don't want to change everything at once uh, because then you don't, if it, if, it, if it all works, you don't really know what what helped. And if it all falls apart, you can just point the blame every which way. I mean, hopefully, I think right now the cars are at a, a racy and exciting level. They don't look super weird. They are super complicated, but there is some relevance to at least road powertrains, you know, not really at all aerodynamically like we've talked about. Um, but, you know, battery technology and, uh, and and hybrid stuff and, you know, heat uh, reclamation and all kinds of things. Like there's there's some cool stuff there. There's a, a really good engineering story. Um, and I'm thinking like, if we can get through these next few years, hopefully we don't lose more teams. I mean, you know, seeing, uh, Manor, uh, come from the ashes of Marusha and, uh, and at least be there and have reliable cars now. I mean, they've, they've had double finishes for a lot of races. It's been really been going well. It's obviously they're slow, but at least they're reliable and they're doing well. Um, you know, Honda and McLaren, hopefully that starts to come together, you know, points today for both cars. That's obviously a good step. Um, that, uh, you know, we can get past the politics of this, hopefully come up with some kind of a new uh, agreement, some kind of you know new new deal, so that yes, the people that with all the you know you know the the bajillionaires as we are fond of calling them, you know the people with all the crazy money, uh, they can still make their money and they you know still uh, you know people that's the only reason they want to invest in stuff is because they can make more money, um, but also can have a bit of a reality check on. How do we make money from this sport? Is it, you know, so a lot of it is TV, is, you know, internet stuff. And, you know, obviously we've talked about how terrible their website is and how, you know, even the World Endurance has a way better web presence. You can you can just buy access to the races. It's not all through TV companies. Um, there's, there's all kinds of ways that this thing can be made better that without even changing the cars at all. And I do agree there are some ways you can change the cars to, to make it better as well. But I'm hopeful that, um, you know, taking a step back, there are still lots of people that are really excited about Formula One. I mean, when you go to, obviously, some of the tracks in China and stuff where they're like, there's... You know, the, the government runs the track and there's some kind of weird politics behind, you know, is this, you know, what's going on here? Um, but we see a race like in like in Hungary here. Um, you know, as soon as, the, as soon as all the fans are allowed to, they're all just, you know, uh, piling onto the track and they're surrounding the podium and they're cheering and there's flags and they're so excited. I mean, there's people want to do this thing. It's not like enough of a problem where it's like, oh, these cars are really lame. Nobody cares anymore. I mean, especially with a Ferrari victory. There's still so many Ferrari fans out there in the world and uh, they really just, you know. Uh, there is still this passion for it, and it's easy to look at all this negative stuff in the media and think, oh, nobody cares about Formula One anymore." I mean, you know, we're still here. We're talking about it. We've got you know engaged fans that are uh, that are sharing their thoughts and opinions, and we're debating. You know, is has Maldonado sucked? Oh no, he's okay. No, he's terrible. Whatever. You know, oh, what is Hamilton doing? What's Rosberg doing? Like, there's still plenty of stories to be told that are that are good and positive and uh, and you know interesting to people. And it's just, I think, more a matter of the the politics getting in the way of the sport, and hopefully they can sort that out. Um, and then once things are on like an even footing, we're not, you know, losing teams and we have teams that are, um, even if they're doing well in the series, struggling to survive financially. Once we can get past that, then I think we can start to look at how do we, uh, you know, tweak, you know, hopefully not, you know, I don't know about tearing up the rule, but that seems like maybe an invitation for, for chaos. But, uh, you know, it's tweaks and changes to um, try to do what works and make things interesting, which is kind of what we have now. I mean, you know, DRS was a response to, oh, nobody can pass anybody. and then um,
0: And why you know, could no one pass anybody? Because of aerodynamic sensitivity, right? And I agree with pretty much all of your points you're making. And I don't, and I'm not saying the one and only problem with Formula One that's falling off this huge precipice is aerodynamics. Not at all. You're right. Aerodyna- uh Formula One is still hugely popular. What I'm trying to say is let's keep it there. It's at a very high level, but it's not ascending further. Do you know what I mean? And the last point I want to make is. What is the era that a lot of people look back to and romanticize? Well, it was... 1930s. The 60s. And um, maybe some of the 30s, but it was the 60s. And what did the cars have in the 60s? Well, they had a lot of interest. What they did not have was wings. That was like the... 1968, 1969 was the first like, wait, let's put this wing on the car. And they were going up and stuff... And uh, oh, I guess it's not the last point. The one other point I wanted to make was when I was go karting, you know, my go kart, which had, you know, $40 tires on it, whatever, that pulled 1.8G. Do you know what I'm saying? There's lots that can be done. Oh, and tires have gone huge leaps and bounds technology wise. I'm certain that we could get to very high levels of grip those would be $100 tires in today's money <laughs> you know, that's that's the downside there would there is i'm telling you lots of ways that mechanical grip could get us to uh, approach if not meet the uh, the uh, performance we see with aerodynamics I, I i don't know i just there's and for me i there's okay yet another last point there is A wish for me that the sport gets closer to being able to bring relevant technology to the industry as a whole. And I think if we stepped away from aerodynamics and towards um, drag and powertrain and mechanical grip, we would see more of that and yet maybe another golden era come our way
1: no that's backwards thinking i think the forward thinking is that i should have the next generation fiesta st should have (laughs) ridiculous levels of downforce i should be able to make 5g turns and have you know close to a thousand horsepower out of my 1.6 liter turbo
0: fiesta st till you die (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which would not be very long if that were the car that i had yeah well i mean i wouldn't mind i would
1: try driving upside down at 60 miles an hour because well it said i could
0: do that well off off mic i jim and i had a conversation i'm i'm keeping a close eye on the upcoming focus rs so maybe if you throw a little formula one technology in that bad boy i wouldn't be too upset
1: yeah man or throw a little ford technology into formula one eco boost man hey it's perfect. anyway
0: anyway um, well, and you know, that's a fun aside. I mean, we brought it up. I mean, Ford is coming back in high-level racing with their uh, GT Pro category for GT that will be coming to Le Mans next year with Chip Ganassi, and that should be quite quite good to see. But that is another form of sport that is not Formula One. That is beneath it uh, in terms of category and in terms of outright speed. Still, I'm excited for that.
1: Right. I mean, that's, uh, you say beneath it, you talking world endurance. Well, you were just it.
0: talking about, you made their whole point. Formula One is the peak of technology. They're the fastest and all that right. kind of stuff. Exactly. Uh, well, well, the well, Ford it, GT will be slower than those it cars. definitely
1: will be slower than that. But, you know, that's that's the big question, right, is, is, well, you know, is world endurance, you know, beneath Formula One? And I guess, you know, when you think about it that way, a single, in terms of open wheel cars and the different, you know, open wheel formula, single seat or whatever, sports cars is kind of sideways from that. But in a way, if you look at it, you know, there are a lot of times where you pick a place where they both run, you know, Spa, uh, Silverstone, uh, Brazil. Um, But, you know, those the uh, WEC cars are just so much slower um, in terms of lap time. You know, they make crazy power. They've got their own, you know, aerodynamic geniuses and stuff working on these cars. Those are kind of weird-looking cars now. I mean, you know, they all kind of look cool and you're looking at them, and there's, you know, the headlights and the air intakes and whatever. And then you look at, you know, a, a Le Mans car from... 10 years ago, you know, 20 years ago, mid 90s and stuff, you're like, man, those were some really really good looking cars Where <laughs> they were yeah. roughly the shape of a, of a of a road car and then they just all smoothed out the edges and elongated and whatever. And you look at like the, you know, McLaren F1, GT uh, GT Le Mans car and all these different cars and it's like, okay, there were that was um, well, I think, maybe we've gone a step backwards in terms of that with well, sports cars, but the
0: prototypes, you know, took another level away from street cars, but the racing, I mean I you know, I we're both fans of WBC and we like a lot of what they're doing. So but I just I don't know, I, I would love to hear from fans on what they think. What is what is the thing you're looking at about where Formula One is now and where Formula One should go? What direction should they take? Because we have a few weeks to think about this before Spa comes. And uh, I think it's a fascinating exercise.
1: Yeah, and you could think about like, you know, I guess to my point, it's like keep everything the same except tickets are $30 now. And, every, you know, more people can go to the race and enjoy it and have fun. You know, it's like rather than $300 or whatever, how, you know, however much the tickets are. Um, or maybe you think, oh, the you know, the ticket price and everything, that's all fine. The media, that's all that's all as best as possible it could be. Um, what we need is different cars, louder engines. I think a lot of people are in that category, you know. But yeah, right. um, two engines per car, I don't know, whatever you want. but. Um, I do think the other... Uh, more
0: innovation, though, I mean, Yeah, innovation, nice.
1: seeing, you know, seeing something... Even the,
0: if it's not aerodynamics, more innovation, fewer rules.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I keep thinking about the, the, the six-wheel Terrell P34. And it's just like, what's what's the innovation if not that? And they're like, hey, wait, you know, drag on the front wheels, but we want grip. We want, oh, let's put four front wheels, and then we'll just have the two yeah. wheels. It's like, that's... Talk about a box and not being inside of it. That's that's it right there. Uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> Just right. For show Formula me a one. box
0: that would even fit in.
1: Right. You know, maybe. I mean, I guess you've got you know front wheel drive Lamar car. You know, that didn't quite work so well. But anyway, there's yeah, there's it, plenty of there's plenty of ways I think God uh, you know, angles you can you can take it and uh, uh, you know it's all interesting I think in uh, in all the different uh, you know getting, as a thought exercise.
0: Getting back to the race at hand. Oh uh, yes, the race. Sebastian Vettel won the race and did so in a convincing way and did quite a good job. Daniel Kaffiet. Finishing second was quite impressive. Good for him. Good for the young Russian, Daniel Ricardo, the other Daniel finishing third. So a two red bull podium. And then, uh, Max Verstappen quite happy to finish fourth in the STR. And he did, he really yet again, did a fantastic job. He is proving to be very much worthy of formula one racing. Uh, as we mentioned before, fantastic performance for McLaren here. Uh, Fernando Alonso in fifth, Jensen Button in ninth. That is, uh, what is that total points? Gosh, I think fifth is eight points, maybe. No, fifth is ten points. Ten points. So ten and two points, twelve points for the team. That's well, well done. Um, Hamilton in sixth, um, Grosjean keeping uh, Lotus on, uh, keeping Lotus up there in seventh. Uh, Nico Rosberg, the other Mercedes, in eighth. Mentioned Button and uh, Marcus Ericsson getting a point for Sauber in tenth. Um, and he was just ahead of his uh, teammate, Felipe Nasser uh, Bad day for Williams. We knew that going into it. 12th and 13th for Massa, ahead of Botas. Maldonado the, uh, collected the most points today, just the wrong ones. And uh, then finally, the last car running was Roberto Meri in that manner. So it was not two manners running. Oh, this I thought they print. made it. I guess they didn't. Yeah, they didn't quite make it. But uh, it as. Uh, jim was saying it's still quite just fantastic to see manor there in general and still uh i think there's hope and i'm still holding uh holding my breath just thinking it's possible if manor can etch forward and get a little bit of luck that uh, manor could score a point this year and that'd be phenomenal um it was it genuinely was a great and exciting race and more races like this would be good um we're coming up on after the summer break. We're coming up on a string of fantastic races because we have Spa. Spa is just the most incredible event. I love that venue, phenomenal. Plus French fries. We'll eat, Have to eat a lot of French fries. Um, then after that, Monza. I mean, Monza's. I don't think we don't have to. Say, we don't have to say anything. Monza's. Monza say no more. Monza. Really, yeah. And then we have Singapore, which is uh, the unique night race, a unique event that really does seem to bring out. A lot of fantastic performances,
1: and that is the the endurance race of the F1 calendar, that is which correct. is always kind of a fun. You know, it's, it's sort of uh, again, it's not one you always think of. It's like it's like you don't think of Hungary as, as a classic, but it really is. And it's like you know, Singapore uh, for whatever reason, the way that the, the the circuit layout and then the number of laps they chose and whatever, it just um, is always a you know that's the one that comes up against the uh, time limits, even in dry running. So uh, that that's kind of its own its own different uh, little take on things. Is you know, there's a lot of racing to happen there, and uh, yeah, the night race uh, having. Um, just its own specialness to uh, to being at night.
0: So, yeah, I think, though, that we've discussed <laughs> a lot of things. Maybe it's time for us to get into predictions.
1: Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Predictions time. And, of course, when we don't have a ham-ham uh, result, which is what a lot of people predicted, um, we've got a couple of interesting things to look at. So... Uh, under predictions, of course, on the Facebook page, under the predictions tab, I'm pleased to report there were 10 folks who correctly predicted that Hamilton would be on poll and then that Vettel would win. So, very well done to you folks because uh, that it was not a super expected result uh, by anyone except for you guys being 10 uh, p- folks being brilliant. Um,
0: so, clearly, it wasn't super unexpected.
1: Well, right. But, you know, well done to uh, to have picked that. Um, we then had uh, four folks going Rosberg Vettel, which we at one point, a few Vettel Vettels. Um, But then when you get back to uh, all of us that are tied for 18th place, it's either a – there's one, Camilo Rubio, who predicted Botas Vettel, which was five points, or all the Hamilton Hamilton people, including the prediction model Damien, me, and you, Robin. Um, So all of us got five points. And uh, many, many, many of our friends – you have to go pages and pages to get back to um, 91st place – uh, which was a Rosberg Hamilton predict- prediction, which was uh, a little bit off from there.
0: Right, and that was only one point down. Right. And then from there, uh, there was a Vettel Hamilton that didn't help folks. A uh, couple, uh, it was three Hamilton Rosbergs that actually did not fare too well. Rosberg Rosberg didn't do you many favors. And then uh, then we got into here's what was really fascinating. Um, Will Carver uh, boldly holding up the rear with his button button, but not that far ahead of him. Were three folks that picked Hamilton Reichen. and that was uh, turned out not to be a good thing, even though Hamilton was on pole.
1: Right. So yeah, with Raikkonen's early retirement—not um, that early, but just retirement—that's uh, well, uh, yeah, early compared to the rest of the field. Well, compared to the end of the race. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the very top of the overall rankings now, after the Hungarian Grand Prix and before summer break, um, Nils Erlimo, uh still in first place, despite scoring five points with a ham-ham prediction, um, is, is all on his own there in first place. And then there's a, uh, a big tie for second place with 25 folks um, with 11 points. So it's still uh, lots going on in the uh, overall standings there. Uh, I have 13 points. So I'm just a little bit back there, but I'm in 32nd spot. And, uh, and but, I
0: am 73rd with oh, 37. Yeah,
1: Damien's in thirty eight. So I'm bonus. not
0: doing super well.
1: All right, so you need to go bold. You need to just put it all on the line here and come out with an amazing prediction for Spa. And that is go.
0: Okay. I am going to put Valtteri Bottas on the pole Ooh, for Spa. Okay. And then Lewis Hamilton will still win the race.
1: You think in one lap pace that the Williams? You think Botas around that's I'm Spa?
0: That's what I'm thinking. Wow, that's what I'm thinking.
1: That's a that's a bold choice, sir.
0: The man has never been on pole, and Spa is going to be more friendly to the Williams chassis. Williams was uh, getting closer, and I'm it'll be quite curious to see how Ferrari does on a faster track. But I don't know. Uh you said be bold, and I said okay.
1: Yeah, man. Well, if... Prediction uh, made, sir. If, like, Hamilton's car, you know, burns up in qualifying or something, which, you know, has happened, um, then so many people with Hamilton poll predictions are going to get hosed, and then you, sir, are just going to come out like a shining star of... Well, except, I guess, then if he... But then Hamilton has to come a win for... uh, your prediction to come, yeah.
0: Out. So, not burning the car, more but, of a singed but car, just a no, just, or
1: just a, maybe he gets the timing wrong in Q1 and then he's knocked out, but then he's actually really fast and then whatever. So, okay, interesting, interesting uh, theory thank, there.
0: Thank you for uh, hypothesizing scenarios. For I me. don't
1: agree, uh, which is the part of what makes it fun. So, no, Damien, quite all right. I mean, you, you Damien, be wrong whenever you like that. Uh, right, um, Damien thinks Hamilton will be on poll again, and I think he's right about that. Uh, however, because it's just a simple statistical spreadsheet. Uh, Damien thinks that Vettel will win at Spa, and I don't think that that is the case. I think that Hamilton will win. Um, he will he will hang on to it and win and do well
0: there. So when you're when you you're done with your ham, you just want a whole another boatload of ham. Yeah, just ham ham. Yep. Okay. Sounds good to me. So um, and you know I'm, if there if there was a driver whose first three uh, letters of his last name or her last name was pronounced Mayo, I would go ham Mayo all the time <laughs> but that's four letters so that doesn't No really no no happen. it doesn't no it could be like i don't know m you could just say hard a hard o mao m a o oh like maybe a chinese driver <laughs> well i'd be more mao but you know you i don't know, know just i don't know what latvian driver i don't know can you tell me hmm. what which uh, hmm. which would be but just for whatever reasons my parents pronounce my name maoison And so his first... Oh, so it's
1: like Swedish. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Norwegian, perhaps.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, on that bombshell, um, I think it's
1: time (laughs) to wrap this up. Um, so thank you as always for listening. Uh, please do check out funwithcars.com where we post all the episodes with full show notes. So there's links and things to what we're talking about. Uh, you can comment on the shows right there. And of course you can find links to our presences on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we were just a little bit behind live this today, so I did not do any, uh, live tweeting. We're bad at live tweeting anyway. I, we just need to admit that I guess and move on, but, yeah, um, yeah. hashtag FW cars. Uh, I'm sure there was some activity there and, uh, I apologize. If we were not taking part in that. Uh, but, Always good to, uh, I did see some, some people uh, saying this this whole thing was Masa's fault because he um, messed up the start and that that uh, was a whole, everything else was a cascade down from basically Masa getting everyone out of their rhythm. So uh, maybe that's the case. But anyway, um, thank you as always for taking part. And, uh, and you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com as well if you have something that you'd like to share with us. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there was a lot that went on in the race that we didn't talk about. Um, And if you haven't seen this race for whatever reason you're listening to our show now, uh, this is just kind of one of those you need to go watch uh, because there's so many little comings and goings and safety cars and penalties and, uh, you know, last-minute tire problems and all kinds of stuff. So um, rather than us try to mangle our way through summing that up for you, having just watched it and not really taking notes, um, I think it's just, you know, watch the race. And then uh, you can come to uh, hear us debate about whether, uh, you know, taking the wings off these cars makes any sense. So, Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Until you hear from us uh, from after the summer break from Spa, I am Jim Lau.
0: And I am Robin Warner. To Jules Bianchi, may he rest.